1: Today, I've got another special guest. I've got Tony Vandemore. Tony, welcome back to the show. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me. Now, Tony, this is about the second or third time you've been on the show, so now we can actually consider you a friend of the DU podcast. Um, But what we wanted to uh, start off with you and and start discussing is let's kind of take a quick step back before we go forward. Um, Let's go ahead and start off with... And mainly because I'm curious, I know other people are as well. How was your blue wing teal season there in Missouri? Man,
3: teal season
1: was uh, it was pretty special this year. It was
3: great, uh, fantastic. You know, we everybody saw the numbers were supposedly up fifty eight percent, and people, you know, may or may not believe in the numbers and all that, but we definitely saw it this year. There was a lot of blue wing teal coming through.
1: Yeah, it appeared there was a bunch of blue wings uh, coming out of the Dakotas, which I'm just going to assume that that's probably really, really good for you guys there in northwest Missouri. Um, And and I know a lot of people were taking advantage of it. I saw some different videos, some stuff that you guys were posting, stuff that other people were posting throughout the the flyway there. And it seemed like everybody had blue wings all over the place. And and you guys definitely had them. But what kind of uh what kind of habitat were you guys hunting there? I, I was watching some of the videos that you were posting and it looked like some some pretty cool moist soil units.
3: Yeah, you know, we we manage for blue wings quite a bit here. Um and it it works it works well, obviously, because we're putting water on moist soil units, um, natural moist soil units that we're managing, you know, to propagate the natural millet, the natural smartweed, nuts edges, and, um, mowing a lot of that stuff down that's, that's really shallow water. Um, so anything less than six inches of water, um, we're brush up, brush hogging it, uh, which you can do. It's not baiting because it's a natural, natural food. Um, but they mm-hmm. they really key in on that stuff, and when you when you lay it over like that with a brush hog, your bugs and invertebrates do a lot better in that than they do on vertical standing cover um and I think that yeah. that's something those blue wings I mean you cut them open and they're they're full of bugs i mean they're granted there's a lot of moist soil seeds and whatnot, but there's a lot of them are are full of bugs and invertebrates.
1: No, that's cool. And that's, and that's one thing that's going to lead me into my next question for you. And uh, you know, you kind of always talk about it and and we've even talked about it on the podcast with you before, but you know, really, you know, the, the habitat management that that you guys do up there is, is very, very extensive. And, And I'm always curious, you know, to find out what you're doing during the summer, you know, how your summer's rolling along and, and, uh, you know, what are the, what are the types of things that you guys are doing up there that are kind of setting the table for the season to come from May through now? Well,
3: summer, is my busiest time of year by far. Um, mm-hmm. the habitat management side, you know, I, I think a lot of people are kind of, I wouldn't say scared, but intimidated by it. You know, Oh my God, this, what, what's it entail? Is it, it's expensive and all that, but it's really not. I mean, if you're managing for the food that's already there, it's as easy as I mean, it just costs you some sweat equity. I mean, little chemical, maybe spraying, little disking, some things like that, taking your water off at the right time. But it's not, it's not very expensive to manage for good moist soil food. It's just it just takes a lot of a lot of time. So what we do is we have uh, uh probably our most invasive plant. I guess I'd call it invasive up here is what, what I call spike rush. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, you know, it'll, it's left unchecked. It just completely gets so thick that it blankets everything out and nothing else comes up. So when we're taking water off late for a, you know, a, a moist soil drawdown in the May, June, late June, that stuff really gets going Early in the spring, and it looks like you got a, a carpet of a spike rush out there, and nothing's going to come through it. So mid June or so, in our thicker areas, I'm going in there and and spraying and burning that stuff down, and then it's just you know it's a chemical release. You burn that stuff down, and then the natural stuff comes up through it, and you know it doesn't it doesn't cost a whole lot. A little bit of chemical, a little bit of time, but then you get great mm-hmm. great more soil food to come through it. I mean the the trick with wetlands is is basically, you know, I mean, it's basically just not being afraid to, not being afraid to work, not being afraid to make some mistakes. We've all made lots and lots of mistakes through the years trying to figure out what works and what doesn't. Uh, But once you figure it out, there's not a whole lot to it.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that kind of leads me to my next question is, you know, we, we get a lot of questions. We get a lot of emails to the podcast, like, Hey, you should do something on, you know, more habitat management, land management. You know, how did you, really learn what the right steps were. And and the the funny, not funny, I guess, but the difficult thing about this is it's going to be different for every single person in every region throughout the country. But how did you kind of, you know, say, Oh, you know, I need to get this spike rush out now. Or was it something that it took over and you're like, Oh man, that didn't work. I got to go back is it just kind of trial and error or did you, or, or, you know, were you really kind of studying this?
3: Well, I mean, back when, when I was, I mean, I've kind of been doing it my, all my life, my uncle helped help manage some refuges in, in Illinois where I grew up. But, uh, so he has a lot of knowledge, but honestly, there wasn't a a whole lot of places to turn to for information on this. When, when I was growing up and, and doing this stuff, um, it's really, it's been through trial and error. I mean, you can have, have the best degree in the world and you're going to be way ahead of me. Um, but you can have no knowledge of it whatsoever and go out there and, it, and it's going to take you a few years, but you're going to make some mistakes, but you can, you can get the job done. Um the, the The best, the best way to learn is just by, by trying stuff and and making mistakes and taking notes of what works and crossing off the list, what doesn't work. Uh, and that, you know, that's the fun of it. It makes your duck season last 365 days instead of 60.
1: Absolutely. You know, just kind of putting the work in there and messing with different things. I mean, I think most duck hunters do that anyway, even if if they're not managing land. I mean, we're tinkering around in the garage and doing different things. I know I am, um, you know, throughout the year and and that it really does extend your season. Um, But so what's been different this year compared to last year? I know last year when we brought you on the show, heavy discussions on flooding and you know there was some major issues that you had and and so kind of compare that year that summer that that management time in comparison to what you dealt with this year and then how that habitat differs
3: yeah it was uh it was interesting last year to say the least with all the big floods i mean the the entire missouri river valley from you know St. Louis to the Dakotas was was an absolute nightmare. Uh, nothing mm-hmm. but mud and water and some weeds and a lot of it was pretty good duck habitat, you know, uh, the moist soil stuff that came on and some of that water receded, but uh just the lack of lack of ag, you know, farmers lost lost everything in in those areas. But this year was was much different. We didn't have have the big floods, thankfully. Um they were able to get in and do a lot of levee work. Uh, repair a lot of the the levee work, you know, from all along the Missouri River. Uh, but we had a pretty, we had a really good growing season, honestly. Uh, the stuff in the Missouri River bottoms looks fantastic. Actually, where we're at in in Sumner, it was uh, it was a lot a lot wetter than it was along the Missouri River. Like we got, we were able to get you know crops in the end of April, early May in Missouri River bottoms, and up there at home, I didn't. Get anything planted until third week of June. Um, yeah, but all said, we had a had a great growing season. It was awesome for moist soil. Lots of rain throughout the summer, which you know we don't normally have. Um, lot, lots of rain, but not enough to flood anything. So it was a very very good growing season. Um, but come about. Man, about August it got it got really dry and we haven't had yeah. any, haven't had any since. I mean, it is bone bone dry up here.
1: Yeah, well hopefully you'll catch a catch a late rain here at some point, you know, and I know that's fairly typical. I know especially around here, you know, we typically start catching some rain late October early November and, and really December is probably our big, our, our strong rain month. Um, but man, you guys are going to be in the middle of your season here before you know it. I mean, when do you guys open up?
3: Um, we open up November 7th and, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's right around the corner. It's, It's, it's pretty hectic around here right now. Um, but habitat wise, I mean, it, everybody's got different opinions. Um, Everything looks great. You, you know, we got to pump a lot of water, and it's really tough pumping conditions right now because it's so dry. It's been hot; a lot of it evaporates. Um, but that said, the food and the habitat looks good. Um, but it's always a—you you always need that rain. I mean, everybody says, "Oh man, you know, dry year, going to concentrate the ducks." You've got the food, you've got the water; they're all going to be there. But that's not. I mean, it's just not the case. I mean, I much prefer a wet year, a flood year, um, where everybody has water than a dry year, just because there's, there's places they can go hide. They can, they can rest where nobody's shooting at them. Um, if the only places that have water are where people are shooting at them, they, they, they just don't they don't take that pressure.
1: Now, we talk about that a lot. It's kind of landscape level water is always better than than assuming that just because you have water, you're going to have ducks. Because when you do get that landscape level water, you know, you can hold ducks. Even in Arkansas is the same way. Uh, Mississippi is very similar. You know, we talk about a lot around the office that when we get an abundance of water, it can make the hunting a little bit more difficult because they can get away, but the, the birds will definitely stick around there.
3: Yeah. You know, it kind of goes, kind of goes back to, I mean, all hunters are, are competitive to some, to some point, you know, Um, oh yeah. You know, my neighbor doesn't have water. I got the water. I'm going to be ruling the roost this year. All ducks are going to be on me. Well, they, they might be, but it's much better when everybody has water
1: oh absolutely and I know you guys um, you know I know you talked to a lot of people even some people on the other side of the border up north uh, with the border being closed are you what are you hearing up there are you talking to any guys up there and 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 just kind of get an idea of what you're hearing from from Canada
3: well from from what I've heard I'm I'm disappointed. I'm not up there right now. I know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, everything, everything sounds, sounds great from up on that side. Sounds like uh, the hatches, the numbers, everything, everything's above average. Um, and I think, you know, there's, everybody has their different opinions on what that's going to mean down here in the States. You know, are we going to see a whole bunch more ducks? Is there going to be this? they going to be that. And I don't, I personally don't think we're going to notice any change. In the number of ducks. I mean, we're not talking about that many. I mean, that's sure. There, there's several that aren't going to get killed this fall up there. But I do think, you know, what, what we're going to see is, is a lot, lot friendlier, friendlier ducks. If, if that makes any sense, there's going to be more young ones mixed in these flocks. Um, I think they're going to, I think we'll, we'll see a difference on that standpoint. We won't see a difference in numbers, but, uh, they're definitely going to be more young ones mixed in they are going to be a little bit friendlier to a call and and that sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I think uh, you know we've we've had several different people from Ducks Unlimited Canada on, and they've provided a pretty good overview of what what we're looking at, and even some of them have hinted to that where you know you're definitely not going to notice more birds in your in front of your blind just because of that. Not you know, there's no US hunters in Canada, but you there could be could definitely be a, a noticeable difference in uh and juvenile birds and specific flocks and things like that. So, you know, that that may help us all out a little bit, but it's only time will tell there, just like with anything. The the,
3: the snow goose numbers is everybody's you know, just been a big question. I mean, I don't I don't know mm-hmm. that anybody was able to go up on the tundra and really sample and, and do all that stuff. Not not that I've seen um some people say it's great hatch some say it's average or below average or whatever but uh the in, infield reports that i've got so far are signaling towards a, a pretty good spring from a hunter standpoint that yeah it's not going to not going to help the snow geese numbers any with them having a good hatch but there i think there's going to be a lot more young snow geese this year which is going to lead to much better geese hunting overall.
1: Yeah, you know, I hope so. You know, we, we're, we're working on getting that data in. Uh, you know, we've got some contacts up there, Ray Alasaskis, who uh, um, has been on the show before, and, and he's always gone up there to the tundra and 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 done his research, and, and you kind of get a, an idea of, of the hatch. And I've heard a couple small areas, like Wrangell Island did decent, um, had some decent production, um, and that's just kind of hearsay right now but you know i think there is going to be some information out and i don't want to scoop um our own my own co-host there dr mike brazier on uh on the 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 snow goose hatch but i i don't think it's going to be as good as what you think i will say that um but it sounds like it sounds like they're you know they're birds from what we're hearing as far as migrations um, the birds that are pushing down seem to be fairly strong but i think the science is is going to show that the the production itself might not have been as good as what we think right now but but that's all to come again i don't want to scoop anyone but uh i'm sure that i mean honestly
3: after the last two years it's not going to take much to make it better
1: yeah that's exactly right and that that i was going to lead into that where it's kind of like oh man you know i don't think it can get a whole lot worse than what we've been dealing with You know, you guys have, have at Habitat Flats have have been a good partner with DU. I went up there and hunted last year, had a great time, and I just wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of uh, explain anything that's new that's coming from Habitat Flats. I know you guys have an exciting new endeavor that you guys are taking on, and, and I want to give you the opportunity to kind of explain that.
0: We're
3: breaking ground, actually broke ground this week on Habitat Flats kennels. Um, we've always been extremely, you know, extremely proud of our our dogs and and obviously uh you know they're our best friends and all that and and you demand a high quality hunting dog when you're doing it every day um so we've we've branched out and we're we're building a beautiful facility right now some great tech tech waters technical ponds and all that um good trainers lined out and uh we're kind of keeping our lines going here at Habitat Flats in the breeding the breeding part of it, but also training. And uh, we're building, building the, the tech water and the training ponds over there to the kennel site. But also, I mean, we've got incredible training facilities already within Habitat Flats with all the wetlands, all the blinds, all the pits, all the boats. I mean, to have a dog that, to me, a, a great gun dog is one that you don't know is there until you need them. And Mm -hmm. the way you get that is by obviously great training, but also introducing them to every scenario, every hunting scenario under the sun and getting them comfortable. I mean, you can't, you can take a dog that, that you've had, had in training and you know I mean they're rock solid out there in the pasture they'll, they'll do blinds they'll do this they'll do that And they've never been in a pit blind and I see it every year guys bring dogs like this and they're like yeah this dog's a field trial champion and that's wonderful um all right put him in this put him in this dog box and it's, I mean it's no fault to to the dog or the owner or anything like that they've just never been exposed to it and the time to expose to expose a dog to these hunting situations is not that morning <laughs> yeah it's it's throughout the year so we're really excited uh for habitat flats kennels and and the gun dogs that that we're going to be rolling out of there got got good good places to do it and it's something we all love i mean it's it's my favorite part of the hunt is is my dog. That's why I quit deer hunting. Can't deer hunt with a dog. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's, that is exciting. That's a, that's an awesome doing endeavor that you guys are going to be taking on. And I'm sure that I'm sure that it will just add to the, uh, the busyness of your off season as well.
3: For sure. And I'm really, really looking forward to it. Can't wait to take, you know, see my girls grow up around, hopefully training dogs in the future. And that's something, you know, dog training as opposed to, straight hunting is something that anybody can do. I mean, you don't Mm -hmm. have to, I mean, anybody can make that connection with their kids. Um, There's nothing, nothing to it to go out there and, you know, spend the time to train a dog. I mean, it's a lot harder to get decoys, do all this stuff, go hunting, but you can still enjoy the outdoors, you know, with your kids just going out there and training dogs. And we've got a lot of, a lot of excitement on that end. I mean, obviously Aaron and Ira McCauley partners, um, they're vets. Um, they've got mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of insight on, on the, you know, the dog, the dog stuff on the vet side. So it's just going to be pretty, pretty neat deal for us. We're all excited about it.
1: Yeah, that's great. Now, you know, this is a question I've been getting a lot this year and, um, you know, it is it is a, a very interesting time, obviously, uh, with the pandemic going on and, and everything that, that different areas of the country are dealing with this a little bit different. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of discuss what Habitat Flats is doing as far as you know the COVID nineteen regulations, how you guys are approaching that, anything that you guys have changed, um, you know, and what you're hearing from from some of your clients that are saying, "Yeah, I'm coming," "No, I'm not," or, or you know, just just kind of getting a feel for for how Habitat Flats is approaching this. Yeah, I mean, I th- I
3: think overall. Um from a guest perspective, uh, everybody's ready, man. They're ready to get outside. They're ready to go. Um, we had a few, He had a few cancellations early, um, that were very soon filled by other people that were ready to get out. Um, you know, we went through, we've put a lot of different protocols in place, um, to try to, to try to adapt to this, this deal. Um, we're serving dinner in in different shifts, to where the the tables aren't so full, um, you know all the staffs wearing masks and there's sanitizer stations everywhere and a lot of what we do up here, outside of you know sitting in the lodge eating dinner. I mean, guys are sitting outside by the fire. We're we're stressing the social distance thing and, and giving yeah. people an opportunity to do that. Um, but more than anything, I mean, we went through went through teal season so far and we had a lot of guests and everything was, was just fine. I mean, guys said that, that the travel, the airports, everything was absolutely a joy because there weren't many people in them. Um, Mm -hmm. and they were, they were, they were all ready to get out. I mean, everything went great. We didn't have any, any positive cases or anything like that. You know, the staff all wore the masks and everything. Um, so really we're just looking forward to, good fall and i think a lot of people are
1: i think that's the uh the overall tone that i'm hearing from most people is that man i'm just ready for duck season and uh you know ready to get out and and you know spend time with friends and family and the blinds and and uh you know do it as safely as possible you know that that seems to be the the key message yeah for sure so as be- before we before i let you go here and uh um i had george thompson on the podcast i don't know a few weeks back and uh uh, we went through all the Benelli products. You know, he's he's a great guest. I know you know George pretty well. Um, what we we had a, about a ten minute discussion on the we the flock that we decoyed when I was up there and, and we were he and in the blind with several other people. And, and you happened to shoot that video of it. And, uh, and you've shared it on your social media. And I think DU has shared it on their social media on occasion. And, and it's just this epic mallard flock that comes in and, you know, probably 20, 25 birds. And, and we rained out about 12, 13, 14 of them. It was, it was so cool, but you happened to catch it all on video. And, uh, is that you know that's something that that you probably see every day, and so my first question is: Is that something that that you get tired of? Not tired of seeing. It's something that you just get used to seeing, and then to follow up with that is: What is the best decoying mallard situation that you've ever been in?
3: Man, I think if I ever get tired of seeing that, I hope I'm dead. Uh, honestly, <laughs> that's right. That's, I mean that, that's what that's what I work all year. For for is to to be able to see that and uh oh yeah i get as jacked up watching watching you guys rain them out as as being able to do it myself anymore i kill probably more with more with my camera than with a gun by far but that yeah. that never get, never gets old it's kind of like turkey hunting i mean it doesn't matter who pulls the trigger i mean if you're sitting there in the game getting the call and and run your dog and have a hot cup of coffee and watch the world wake up you know, over a duck marsh. There's absolutely nothing better
1: than that to me. Yeah,
3: that will that'll never get old.
1: And then, as far as the best one, yeah, this this will be interesting. This this is tough. Uh,
3: <laughs> this is really tough. We had we had one probably the best single flock I've ever seen. We were we were filming with with Jimbo and the R and T guys, and I I don't know maybe. 2,500 or something that was was beautiful snow on the trees and snowed that morning. Um, They come in and and land. I mean, we didn't shoot at them, but it was just, it was a beautiful situation. Um, Definitely one of the, one of the better memories I've had waterfowl hunting. Probably one of my best, you know, I grew up in Illinois. Grandfather had a couple of clubs on the Illinois river and uh, we used to shoot. I mean, black ducks were, were pretty were common. I mean, most days you shot a Mm -hmm. black duck. It was beautiful. I love black ducks. But when I moved to Missouri, I went 13 years without ever seeing a black duck (laughs) harvested in Missouri, if that tells you anything. Um, yeah. We found this little bitty creek. There's a foot of snow on the ground and a creek maybe... 15, 20 feet wide at most with 60, 80 foot tall cottonwoods on both sides of it. And I don't know how many tens of thousands of ducks were hitting this thing for a drink before they were going out to feed, but it was a lot. And, uh, we went in there and we shot, there's five of us shot our Drake mallards right away. And it was just such a special day. We sat there and, and just watched and watched the ducks come in. I mean, they were coming vertical. I mean, it was like a, a timber scenario, And we're just sitting there watching video and taking pictures, just beautiful. And then, pretty soon, boom, somebody shoots. Like, what in the heck? Buddy goes, black duck. Like, no way. First black duck I've ever seen in Missouri in 13 years. 20 minutes later, boom, black duck. And at the end of the day, all five of us shot a black shot, the one black duck we were allowed. And uh, Mm -hmm. we've got them, we've got them mounted in the lodge. Hadn't seen one in 13 years in Missouri. And we killed five that day. So we've, we looked at a lot of ducks that day at very, very close proximity. It was probably my... My favorite duck hunt ever, I'd say.
1: Nah, that's pretty special. I mean, it, black ducks are special, especially, you know, for people who are accustomed to uh, to seeing them all the time where they hunt, and then don't see them anymore, and that just makes it even better. That's that's pretty awesome.
3: Yeah, it was, it was pretty neat, and having having mounted in the lodge, I get to look at them every day and remember that that special day. That's really
1: cool. Very cool. Well, we are creeping up on duck season. You guys will be open here probably before you uh, before you know it, you'll blink and you'll be in the middle of duck season, that's, uh, that's certainly an exciting time. And I appreciate you taking the time to join me today. Just one last question before we get going, you know, what is kind of your expectations going into this season and, and even kind of into the snow goose season? We hit on it a little bit, but you know, what are your expectations for what your, your, the things that you want to accomplish the most going into this duck season?
3: I think, uh, it, you know, we're already seeing it. And I've said it for years um, when the Dakotas produce a lot of ducks, the, the early part of the season is fantastic for everybody south of there. Um, we're seeing it right now. I mean, we don't open till November 7th, which is our latest north zone opener ever for Missouri. Um, I'd much prefer it to be the end of October, like it's going back to next mm-hmm. year. But anyway. You know, we've got thousands and thousands of pintails, teal, gadwalls here right, right now, and that's a direct reflection yeah. for the production on the U.S. side of the border in the Dakotas. And we see it, see it every year when they have a, a good, good production in the Dakotas. Those early flights, your calendar ducks that are moving on, you know, the the length of light in the day and uh, responding to just a little bit of pressure when the Dakotas open up, they're starting to roll. There's a lot of ducks right now. A lot of ducks here early, and you it know, just shows there's a, a fantastic hatch here in the US. I think it's gonna be a really good duck season for everybody.
1: I certainly hope that you are correct, and uh, man, I really appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we'll have to catch up with you here in a few weeks once your season kicks off, and, and we'll see if all those all those predictions are correct. Yeah, I say we
3: catch up in a blind, Chris. You know where we're at. <laughs>
1: I know. I'm going to have to figure out a way to get up there this year for sure. Well, I appreciate you having me, Chris. Hey, I'd like to thank my guest, Tony Vandemore, for joining me today on the Ducks Unlimited podcast. I'd like to thank our producer, Clay Baird, for putting the podcast together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank our listeners for joining us and listening and supporting Wetlands Conservation.